Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Hello, Um, so this is Mark Green. I co-host with Mary. I'm the medical director at Westbridge. Today we have as our guest Brian Johnson. Brian is the Addiction Psychiatry Director at SUNY Upstate and co-chair of the American Psychoanalytic Association workshop um, on addiction and psychoanalysis. Um, Dr. Johnson receives his his MD from New York Medical College and has been on the faculty of Harvard for many, uh, for three, three decades and then moved to SUNY to take up his current post in 2008. Um, Dr. Johnson has extensive treatment in addictions, and I should rephrase that. Dr. Johnson has extensive experience of treating many people um, with addictions and detoxification and is very active in the American Academy of Addiction Psychiatry and in the APA. Um, Brian's also published lots of excellent and interesting papers in the field of neuropsychoanalysis of addiction and in chronic pain, sleep, and prescription drug abuse. Hi, Brian. Hey, good to be here. Good to talk. So, Brian, one of the primary things that I wanted to talk to you about today was your book called Widespread Zombification in the 21st Century, or Zombification of Drugs. So, in reading this book, it's a, um, it's a guide directly written for kids, um, to help them understand the drugs of abuse which are around, and you use a metaphor of zombies to um, help them appreciate some of the um, changes of will that occur with drug use, right? Yes. Um, so how did you come to use this metaphor, and, and explain what you mean by zombies and zombie masters? Well, the academic version of the book is out for review now, and the basic idea is that all of us animals have a drive system. It's what impels us to look for food, water, and sex. It comes from the midbrain, and it just is. You know, why are we wanting to eat dessert when we're on a diet? Well, we just do. It's a it's a drive. It's a, a basic function in your brain that we're not in control of. The way addictive drugs work is they get into the same system. So if there's enough exposure to the drug, 
then you start to urgently want the drug, just like you urgently want to eat dessert even when you're on a diet, except it's probably a, a much more powerful drive. So what I want children to know or teenage children to know is if you let your brain get exposed to these drugs, you're actually becoming a customer of the addictive drug industry. And the way it works is they fool kids into using the drugs so that they develop the hunger for the drugs, the classic uh, example being cigarettes. If you smoke a few cigarettes, gradually you begin to want cigarettes, and 20% of Americans smoke cigarettes. Mm-hmm. So, so your your and um, so your um, your drive system is becoming corrupted or hijacked um, by the drug or alcohol, um, which then you desire or you um, want. And you put this in the framework of it being you becoming sort of a slave of the, not just the drug, but the whole industry that surrounds it. That's the idea. Mm-hmm. And you, you see the term hijacked in academic papers all the time. Yeah. But you don't see it in the popular press. People talk about the pleasure system or people use drugs for pleasure and they're advertised that way. And that's not accurate at all. People are not smoking 20 cigarettes a day because they're getting immense pleasure from the cigarettes. They're smoking those cigarettes because their will has been taken over by the people who sell cigarettes. Uh, The value of using this on a public health level is instead of seeing people who smoke cigarettes as cool, you start to see them as victims. You start to see them as people who unfortunately, have had a permanent brain change. So the, um, so I really like that view of things, particularly with nicotine. Um, when I started smoking, um, I haven't smoked for a long time now, but <laughs> Great. No, one likes, no one likes smoking initially. It's repulsive. It, right. you know, your body tries everything to reject it. And you hear the same thing with opiates for many people, right. many people who later develop a dependency, you know, vomit a great deal when they feel awful with their first opiates, <laughs> but you work it, you work on yeah. it. Um, and you're not really satisfied until your brain tells you now you want the cigarette. Um, and um, you know, cigarettes in particular, I don't think, become a pleasurable experience until you have developed a dependency on them. Well, of course, Mark Green is just as big an expert as Brian Johnson, so we both know uh, patients will say the best time is when you first catch a habit, when mm-hmm. you've smoked enough cigarettes that they don't make you nauseous and dizzy anymore when you've used enough opioids that you don't, say, inject heroin and puke, mm-hmm. uh, but you're not strung out on either drug yet. You like the beginning part. Right. You're in the honeymoon phase. So with the... Um, but you, I also like the way... I mean, from, from that perspective, the drug is dragging you um, to be reinforced 
for no, dragging your interest toward itself. So things associated with the drugs um, become more interesting, um, and uh, and eventually it's very compelling, and you're convinced um, that this is a pleasurable rather than just a needed experience. Um, I like the way that you link this to an industry which has manipulated and built itself around this fundamental property of the drug. So the people who haven't read the book uh, will be hearing for the first time the addictive drug industry in the world is about the same size as the oil and gas industry mm-hmm. or world tourism. It's a huge, multi, multi-billion dollar industry, and everyone wants to sell their product. And one of the things about adolescents, um, or anyone, most people, is that they don't want to be taken for a ride. Um, and to realize that you've been hoodwinked and tricked into um, developing a dependency on cigarettes, um, ought to be a, I'd hope, a um, generator of resistance um, for people. So they say, well, I'm not going to be a schmuck and be, um, and be taken for a ride by the industry. Well, this is why I want kids to read the book or maybe their parents too, because once your brain has been changed by drugs, it doesn't change back. Mm-hmm. So I want kids between 12 and 18 to be reading about all these drugs that, of course, are on sale at your local high school. The addictive drug industry has gotten very good at developing dealers who are in high school, and they're not going to tell kids, oh, my God, you could die from this drug or you could suffer different kinds of injuries. They will say it's cool. Right. And this is how drugs are marketed to kids. And it doesn't matter what the drug is. If you smoke cigarettes, you look really cool. If you do coke, oh, my God, you're cool. If you eat ecstasy, oh, my God, it's such a cool drug. The reason to write the book this way and to try to get kids to read it is they'll see that that's false advertising. Mm-hmm but a um, advertising which takes on its own... The, the danger is that a lot of this, sort of, uh, of this approach, however, is that um, zombies can be cool, you know, and, um, and in negative images of drug use can become um, quite cult as well. When you're in the throes of developing a relationship with the drug and the peer group that um, surrounds it, um, it doesn't matter what terms you use, it, um, the zombies or sores from injections can all become part of the associations which can be reinterpreted as cool. I, I chose the term zombie for two reasons. Uh, one is it's part of the war against the addictive drug industry. So, uh, for example, the term secondhand smoke was invented by anti-smoking activists. Uh, They wanted to come up with a term that would make it clear that uh, smoking is repulsive and people are exposed to smoking or suffering injuries. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to use zombie in that sense. No one wants to be a zombie. Every movie about zombies, uh, the heroes are trying to get away from becoming zombified. 
And the second is actually technical. There's a Harvard anthropologist named Wade Davis who investigated how the original Bokors, the witch doctors who control zombies, how did they do it? How did they get drugs into the brain so that the Haitian zombies would do the bidding of their masters? And this is a war that's hidden in plain sight. The people in the addictive drug industry actually have chemicals that put people's will under their control. So I want people who read the book or people in general in in the world to understand that it's a, a horrible process, and by trying the drugs that are offered, you actually fall under the control of other people. So you mentioned Wade Davis um, in your book. Um, tell me what um, can you tell me what his research revealed? Yes, he went down and uh, he spoke to uh, people who were actually creating zombies, and he learned that. Uh, there were basically could you, two... Could you, uh, just to step out on the metaphor, when you say create zombies, you mean... Okay, so uh, this is what they do. They take... This is a, a very old technology. It comes from either early times in the Americas, maybe around 1600, or maybe even from Africa before that. Uh, there's a, a component of the puffer fish called tetrotoxin, and uh, it paralyzes people, and it slows their breathing so much that they look dead. They might breathe twice a minute. So to observers, it looks like they're dead. Mm-hmm. It slows their heart. Yeah. The other one is called Datura, which uh, yeah. in the United States is called gyms and weed, mm-hmm. and it gives people a, a feeling of dissociation that... They'd like to do things, but they somehow can't command their own body. Right. So the zombies were fed the toxin. They looked dead. They were buried, which is all a big theater piece. Mm-hmm. Then the uh, bokors or witch doctors wake, uh, 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 uncover these still living people, put, uh, administer datura, and then... Uh, they don't have any control over their own will. They actually do what the witch doctors tell them to do. That's the old-time technology. Mm. Fascinating. Um, let's stop for break and come back to um, come back in a moment. Okay. Thanks. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. 
Can you imagine a technology that takes human consciousness to the next level? One that reveals a new understanding of what is valuable and possible in the abundant support of life? The truth is, we already have that technology. We simply need to awaken to it and become the value it creates. For more about this, please tune in to Awakening Value, Shamanic Technologies of Consciousness and Success with host Marty Spiegelman. Awakening Value is live every Thursday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family center recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. All right. Hi. Um, Hi. Coming back to Brian Johnson. Um, we're talking about his book, um, Widespread Zombification in the uh, 21st Century. You mentioned that there was a clinician's or professional's or adult guide as well coming up. I, I'm, I'm, I have a paper out for review, which is the uh, neuroscience and uh, psychoanalytic concepts that underlie the book. I see. So I, I hope it will be coming out soon, but of course, it's a process to get it reviewed and accepted. I see. Um, so one of the issues which um, I wondered about in uh, in reading through your book was that um, you know many people who use um, drugs and alcohol do not become zombies. Right. You know, you said that um, it bends your will, and or I might have, one of us said bends your will, um, and um, that you develop, you you can develop a dependency, um, which can be permanent. However, there's lots, there's the majority of people who use drugs and alcohol, and don't succumb to um, dependence. And there's also a, a large number of people who develop dependence who um, can then come out of dependence and, you know, go back to misuse or abuse. Um, so how do you understand that? And how do you express this difference to kids? Because um, that's been one of the criticisms of the D.A.R.E. programs, that they've been too black and white and kids start experimenting, and it doesn't match with their reality. Oh, I, I completely agree with that criticism of the D.A.R.E. program. So there are two levels. One is the academic level, and I have a number of uh, publications about this, but 
at the radio show and, and zombie book level, uh, the suggestion is it's like wolves chasing a herd of deer, that the wolves don't care if most of the deer get away. They're looking for the vulnerable ones. So this is another way to help kids get past the idealization of the drugs. Uh, of course, healthy kids who try drinking or using drugs are actually not going to get addicted. Uh, the drugs have to do something for you. So who's vulnerable? It's people who have a genetic predisposition, who are probably four times as likely than the general population to develop addiction. It's kids who have been molested and already deeply hurt as younger children. It's people with anxiety and depressive disorders, as you know so well. It's kids with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, which is an absolutely miserable thing to be stuck with. And one way to explain it, for example, using what you described earlier with opioids, is healthy, well-related people have good endorphin tone. This is endorphin endogenous morphine. It's the hormone that we all make that has to do with relatedness. If you uh, had a good time uh, hanging around with someone, your endorphins will go up. If you have a pleasant conversation, if you get a, a nice hug from your partner when you go home from work today, your endorphins will be uh, elevated and Many well-related people are at the top of a inverted U relationship, by which I mean they've got enough endorphin tone. It feels great, you know, if it's a little too much with people. You love being by yourself for a while. If you've been too alone, you will call a friend and go do something mm -hmm. or see your children. In that condition, with good endorphin tone, if you take one... Uh, hydrocodone, you feel yucky. You, you're, uh, it's overstimulating. It's too much endorphin. Mm. You might vomit. You might just feel yucky. A lot of people who go to the dentist or sprain their ankle and get hydrocodone, uh, they say, yuck, I'm not taking another one of these. Right. right. On the other hand, if you're socially isolated, if you were abused, molested, if you have a depression and you can't be with people, you are chronically at a low point in endorphin tone. You need more. Mm -hmm. Your doctor gives you uh, hydrocodone for a sprained ankle, and uh, one patient told me recently, you know that feeling you get in your heart when you're in love? That's how I felt. Right. Those are the right. people who are prone to addiction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... Um, the challenge for the um, the kid is, and for you know, prevention strategies um, is to help kids understand a level which they cannot really at that level of maturity. You can't assess your risk and your um, endorphin tone or your sensitivity to yeah. stress or how um, miserable you feel. Um, so accurately um, when you're in the moment or particularly at that age. Um, and yet there's so many people who are being bombarded 
by drugs and there's a certain in their peer group and there's a certain number which are going to find it extremely compelling um, and this is a huge challenge for prevention strategies what do you um, you're hoping that your book at least reduces the number of people that um, give it a shot because um, they won't see it as a particularly friendly option well, all of us addiction specialists, you and me and everyone else who does addiction work, we would love to reduce our customer base. Mm-hmm. That's enough. We have 10 patients for every spot we have for treatment. So there are two ways to do it. One is I have a resident who's got a 12-year-old, and on February vacation, she started reading him the zombie book. So at 12, it's nice if a parent reads it to you. She said the first day she read for three hours. The second day, he wouldn't let her stop. He made her read the whole rest of the book, which took six and a half more hours to (laughs) read out loud. And she thought, wow, this reading stuff is really going great I'm going to get him some classic book, and I'm going to start reading that. And the next day, she said, after a few minutes, he said, Mom, this is boring. Mm -hmm. And that was the end of reading for school vacation week. So you can read it to your child, and it's written at a sixth-grade reading level, and the goal is to make it a page-turner, that the kid wants to hear what happens next. The second idea would be for older kids, 15 or 18 or something like that, you would either it would become a textbook for health class Mm -hmm. or you would say to your kid, how about you read the book and I'll read the book and let's talk about it. Right. That's what to do. You, You don't want to ever let your kid go to school day after week after year and not talk to them about drinking and drug use because mm-hmm. it's going to be with them constantly. Yeah. So either you're going to talk to it's like sex. Either you're going to talk to them about it and they'll have your input or you're not going to talk about it and they'll be approaching this very difficult issue with no guidance from the parent and you don't want that to happen. Right. Right, so it's an it's an invitation for a conversation um, for people, um, and through that you can understand much more the nuanced risk. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example: uh, the section on cigarette smoking. If yes. you ask most people, what is emphysema? Emphysema is one of the main ways that people die from cigarette smoking. They say, ah. Uh, They don't know what emphysema is or chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. So it goes through in great detail. You know, you're sucking dirt into your lungs. There are fine tubes that lead down to the exchange membrane. You inhale and the tubes open up and the dirt goes in. You try to exhale and the dirt, the, the tube closes around the dirt and the air gets trapped inside. Mm-hmm. or the exchange surface gets covered with dirt, people with emphysema suffocate. They die of suffocation. They can't get oxygen into their blood anymore. If you read that to your kid or your kid reads it and then you ask them, you know, did you get what emphysema is, 
Now suddenly the idea of smoking a cigarette is much less appealing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. And it doesn't have to be a, a, a one-shot deal from like a, a, a police officer um, just telling everything in a scare tactic way, but it can be a, a conversation uh, which emerges and the kid can come to some realistic decisions about what risks they want to be taking in their life. Well, there's two approaches to what to do in school. One is the DARE approach, zero tolerance. Mm -hmm. And what happens then is the healthy majority of kids who don't drink or use drugs are silenced. Right. They have nothing to say. The DARE officer said don't drink and use drugs. They don't drink and use drugs. They have nothing to say. Mm. Their other the other students who were drinking and using drugs are talking about it constantly. Whoa, we each drank a case of beer and we puked our guts up. It was great. Right. So if you do it this other way, you invite a debate. I would have, if I was in school or if I was running a health class, I would have everyone read the zombie book, and then I would say, let's divide the class in half. Mm-hmm. All right, everyone with the letter, you know, A to M, you're the pro-drug, we should use drugs part of the debate. Everyone N through Z, you must take the position it's just not a good idea to try out drugs. Yeah. Let's have the debate every day for a week and see where the class gets to. Mm-hmm. Now the kids who don't drink or use drugs have a voice and they've got a lot of information for the don't drink or use drugs side. Mm-hmm. And then the kids who think it's cool, you know, so it's what? It's cool to suck dirt into your lungs. Right. You know, it's cool to fall under the influence of a company that wants to sell you a product that they make billions of dollars on and uh, you're handing them your $10 a day for what? So that you can mm-hmm. suck dirt into your lungs? Is that, is that what? <laughs> that, that's the idea. You, you want to give information and then let the kids discuss it themselves. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's have another break and come back shortly after. Great. <laughs> <laughs> listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tong has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned 
common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, Family Center Recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy R every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back. Um, So, Brian, before, before the break, we were talking about um, how drugs and alcohol are part of, our, um, part of what kids are going to be seeing all the time. And the messages about how to um, exp- um, manage the risks and de-glamorize the experience, which um, has been um, marketed heavily to us as cool, um, is a major challenge for kids as they as they go through their development. Um, you know, there's um, an extra challenge to this because in some states um, and nationally, there's a discussion about how to decriminalize or legalize drugs. And I wondered how that um, plays in. How how you can, what do you think about that? Well, there's a chapter in the book about how to legalize drugs effectively, and it starts with the understanding that the profit in addictive drugs is so huge. Mm. So if you want to take the guns out of the drug dealers in Mexico or Chicago, uh, you would do it by taking the money out of the addictive drug industry. You would legalize all the drugs Mm. the following way. Uh, Kids now fall prey to false advertising, which is called in the book Buzz and Beautification. And they don't know what they're doing, and before they know it, they're either buying ecstasy or uh, fencyclidine or cigarettes or whatever it is, and uh, the changes occur before they're able to think about it. So instead of setting it up that way, the suggestion is legalize all the drugs, each drug that you want to buy, you need to get an addictive drug license. It's like a driver's license. You have to be 18. You have to take a, a course, which is sort of like the driver's ed course. You have to learn, say you want to buy heroin, you have to learn how heroin works, how it will change your brain forever, how people die from drug overdoses or heroin overdoses, uh, how they get into carditis or HIV or uh, hepatitis C and so on. You still want to do this? Yes. You have to go f- for a, a motivational interview, which is sort of like a road test. 
and uh, someone who's knowledgeable uh, asks you a bunch of questions where uh, they don't really care about the answer. They care that you thought about the question. Mm-hmm. So you understand how you always will want heroin for the rest of your life, uh, no matter what, and that's part of using heroin. Yes, I do. Okay, and that that's fine with you. And you understand that your uh, uh, pain system is going to be changed uh, uh, so that everything hurts, and that's part of using heroin. Yes, I do. And you go right through it. You get your picture ID license, and uh, we have state addictive drug centers or SAD centers staffed by counselors. You go in there, you show your picture ID, and you buy your drugs in the setting that everyone wants to refer you to treatment if you would like to go. It's all optional. It's all based on uh, we're adults, and we're doing this because we've decided to do it, as opposed to the way it is now, there are huge profits, and they try to get children as early as possible. So the average age of onset of smoking cigarettes is 13. Right. It's a pediatric disease. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one big penalty would be buying your cigarettes or cocaine or whatever it is at the addictive drug center and reselling them to children. That's yeah. not allowed. Mm-hmm. So... Um, that's a way of increasing the amount of education in the community, um, asking people to really, forcing people to really make a, a choice. Um, because what you said earlier was um, they start using these drugs and changes occur, and by the time they've um, thought about it, it's, it might be too late for those at risk. Um, and um, they may have permanent changes in how they relate and experience pain and experience the world. Um, well, and, and it sounds any... like you've had that experience yourself with cigarettes. How well, old were right. you when you started? Now, that is something which I'm always aware. That's something that I had um, when I started smoking, um, but it's also something that I'm aware of, you know, a decade after not smoking. Yeah. Um, I have the flutter. My Somewhere in, my, in me, I have an awareness that, or, or a thought or feeling that um, smoking is enticing, or just it just regi- it, I don't interpret it that way anymore. It just registered registers um, a little bit more than it ought to, a little bit more than some regular um, stimulus in my environment, and I now can make a choice to just ignore it and move on. Um, but I still have that little peak in interest. Um, the, an attention um, towards cigarettes. So you noticed the brain change that occurred to you. Exactly. Um, and um, so what you're suggesting is if people want to make that choice, then make it an explicit choice after some education. Um, but um, change the um, nature of the marketing by legalizing the drugs in a very controlled fashion. Well, another horrible fact is that about 50% of people who develop lung cancer have stopped smoking. They they realized right. it was a bad choice. They stopped, yeah. and, but it was too late. Yeah. I have an uncle who I love very much who died of esophageal cancer mm-hmm. 
gee, it must be 15 years after he stopped smoking, and yet it was the smoking that killed him. Yeah, yeah, a tragic and common story. The um, You the, also mentioned uh, legalizing marijuana, and yeah. we're just going to have more trouble because of legalizing marijuana the way we're doing it. That's right. Uh, you know, it's got still the, the beautification and buzz and the mystique and, you know, oh, marijuana must be great. And, like, I saw someone at the emergency department today uh, who came in for help uh, because she's been a stoner since she was 10. And she now has two children who she's given up taking care of, and she hasn't ever worked. And she dropped out of school when she was in seventh grade, which is typical of stoners. Marijuana robs your wish to do things. Yeah. And she wanted any kind of help that didn't involve stopping marijuana because she doesn't want to stop. She's zombified. Yeah. She's yeah. giving the drug dealers the money for marijuana and people don't get this. They they think, "Oh yeah, you know, no one ever died of marijuana. Let's legalize it." And gee, we pay a huge price for not having people think about their choices. Uh this person is being supported by the state of New York and she's getting Medicaid insurance because she's indigent. Yeah. And she claims to have a psychiatric disorder which she doesn't and we sent her out of the emergency department and we sent her out mad. She said I'm going to another emergency department of another hospital where they're really going to give me help. So she's running uh, and this was not the first time in our place. Uh, we're running up uh, huge bills to have people addicted, and it's breaking the uh, medical budget. This is one of the reasons health care is so expensive and so nonproductive. Mm-hmm. Yes, and there's so many people, you know, there may be all kinds of comorbid issues, other issues associated in this woman, because the vast majority of people don't um, smoke pot and develop such disastrous histories. But the confluence of risk factors and development and the drug um, can drag people down tremendously. And pot is much more insidious and potent than um, I think most people assume. Um, It's belittled as a a minor drug, and the amount of tragedy that you and I see in our specialist offices um, is remarkable. Well, this is in the zombie book, The Addictive Drug Industry, the marijuana division, recognized that a lot of people were using it recreationally, which meant they could just stop. So over the last 20 years, the amount of tetrahydrocannabinol in marijuana plants is multiplied by about 200 times. It's much more addictive than it was a generation ago. Yeah. And parents who maybe didn't get addicted to it a, a generation ago are therefore lulled into not worrying so much if their kids smoke marijuana, and then, you know, the kids don't do so well. I think parents um, have a difficult time if they've um, played with drugs um, or, uh, and not got into huge trouble or that they've got through difficult times which they feel some shame about and don't want to share with their kids. Um, They have a very hard time broaching this issue in a thoughtful, collaborative, educational way um, with their kids. 
So one of the points of the zombie book is that the parents, uh, their information is a generation out of date. Mm -hmm. They know what they went through, but it's not the same thing their kids are going through. Right. That's especially true for pot, I think. Um, But also the availability of opiates and which we'll talk about in the next section, yeah. our last section. But um, that's right, pot is a different beast than it was um, a generation ago. And uh, so the, and the medical marijuana dispensaries, I'm moving to Denver in a, in a month or two, and there's medical marijuana dispensaries everywhere, it seems. And the legalization issues... Um, it just seems such a waste of an opportunity to um, change the discourse um, and educational level of people who are engaging in behaviors which will take a certain number down. Well, the public health uh, evidence is overwhelming that the more available you make any drug, cigarettes, alcohol, marijuana, and so on, the, the easier it is to get the more casualties you have from the drug. Yeah. There's that aspect, and there's the um, peer group acceptance. So if it becomes a normal um, and acceptable part and your peer group just feels like it's the thing to do, then um, you are at very high risk of developing that behavior yourself. So 10 years ago, kids were more worried about smoking marijuana than they are today because it's being legalized. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And doctors are prescribing it. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, not these ones, mind you. <laughs> okay, so we'll come back after a break. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family center recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. What it comes down to, ladies, is that defining line between been there, done that, and ain't going back, baby. Yeah, I've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers, maybe even dolls, babes, darling, sugar, and sweetheart. But I say that women are truly amazing. Join Dr. Marlene for Amazing Women, Brains, Beauty, and Style every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific right here on the Voice America Women's Radio Network. 
your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Okay, it's uh, Mark Green, um, and I've been talking this hour with Brian Johnson, who's um, professor of psychiatry and addictions at Syracuse at SUNY Upstate University in Syracuse, um, and um, we've been talking primarily about his book Zombification. And uh, um, Brian, how would people get this book if they wanted to read it? Well, you have to get your pen, first of all, and get ready to write down the German word for opposition, which is Gegensatz. It's spelled G-E-G-E-N-S-A-T-Z press.com forward slash zombies. Gegensatzpress.com forward slash zombies. And I would guess if you... Well, you can go to Amazon.com and type in Brian Johnson, and at least the name of the book will pop up. You need a Kindle to read it from Amazon, although there's a Kindle app that's very much coming in. Otherwise, you buy it from a place called Moby Pocket and download it to your computer because it's an e-book. So it doesn't yeah, so come I, I'll tell you how I did it. Um, I just put in Brian Johnson zombification. Uh-huh. Um, into um, into my Google search and up it came and it, the directions come from after after that. But I think either Geigenzat, um dot com or Brian Johnson Zombification will get you there too. Great. All right. So um, so Brian, um, one last area of interest for us both is um, prescription drug abuse. Now, when I was working up in um, Vermont, I ran a methadone program, an opioid replacement treatment program up there, and um, um, prescription opioids at that time, especially OxyContin, um, was more of a presenting problem than heroin for us. Um, we are expanding down to Florida, and the problem of prescription pain abuse, pain, opioid pain abuse, pain medication abuse is disastrous. Um, from Florida up into the Appalachians. Um, so, and of course, this is a, um, something which is available in parents' mirrors um, and cupboards and starts off with just a few pills here and there. Um, so this is a problem which um, you've seen had great experience of, right? Oh, it's, it's horrible. Uh, there's a war going on between people with our approach and the so-called right-to-pain treatment group who think you should give opioids uh, for anything and large prescriptions and they make fun of us and call us opioid phobic and meanwhile the number of deaths from uh, prescription pills is just skyrocketed the amount higher than the higher than the number of deaths from motor, um, from motor vehicle accidents yes it's huge 
It's huge. So there's three classes of drugs that are addictive that doctors can prescribe, opioids, benzodiazepines like clonopin and Valium, and stimulants like Adderall or Ritalin. So if we focus just on painkillers, it turns out that by 2011, 3% of all Americans are now maintained on opioids for chronic pain, and it's just awful because the pills actually make pain worse. It's true. So explain a little bit about that, because if you could. Everything in your body is in a dynamic balance. There's driving and braking systems in your brain. And if you put in an opioid that is long-acting, methadone would be an example, uh, buprenorphine, suboxone, or you take Oxycontin, which is the long-acting form of oxycodone, you blanket your pain system, and the brain goes nuts. If it was 10,000 years ago and we stepped on a thorn and we couldn't feel pain, we could die from a bacterial infection. So your pain system redoubles. It gets more and more powerful. People, unfortunately, have the experience that every pill helps, and yet constantly pain is getting worse and worse. So we have a series now also out for review where 73% of our patients who were on opioids uh, had what's called opioid-induced hyperalgesia. Everything hurts, and when we detox them, pain either gets better or actually dramatically disappears. Mm-hmm. So this is a, um, I first saw this described, I guess, in the New England Journal about 10 years ago or something, or so, this hyperalgesia that can occur with opioids. And the, but you don't have to get fancy about it. Just look at all the people who are taking opioids in low doses or high doses who are in pain. For example, 50% of people who are in methadone maintenance clinics on yeah. high doses of opioids are in, are in chronic pain. That at certain stage, opioids don't seem to help with chronic pain and seem to make the problem worse. Now, the, opi- the people who would call us opiophobes um, have a point. There are also people who, are, um, who have suffered needless pain um, because opioids were denied them. Um, and um, so there's, I think there's, there's truth to both ends of it. And we see um, the tragedies at one end, perhaps. Um, I would say that I'm not sure it's just long-acting opiates which, are, which blanket your system and cause the, the retuning of the pain system. Um, I think also, you know, short-acting opiates, um, you know, like the Percocets and the Vicodin, um, cause these very rapid up and down and jarring of this system, um, which um, does its best to um, maintain some natural balance. Um, but gets ramped up considerably, too. Well, and then there's the zombification idea, the neuroscience version being that as you expose people's brains to these drugs with addictive potential, a certain percentage of them start to urgently want the drug, and then they take it more and more, and you know they might have taken one hydrocodone a, a week initially, and then it's one a day, and then it's six a day, and then their pain is getting worse and worse, and they justify taking more because their pain is so bad. And it's true, every pill 
helps a little bit, and they haven't noticed that it's the pills themselves that are creating the pain. Yeah. I think it's, this is such a hard problem. How do you convince your patients that um, opiates are part of the, a major part of the problem? Well, we say to them, we're going to detox you and uh, we're going to evaluate your pain here. You know, give us the zero to 10 number. And usually it's like it's nine out of 10 and I'm already on all these, you know, oxymorphone or whatever drug they're on now. And uh, we also do something called the cold pressure test. They stick their forearm in my beer cooler full of ice water. Yeah. And we see how long they can hold it there and... Often the time is very short. They're on huge doses of opioids, and yet they're incredibly pain-sensitive. Yeah. So then we'll detox them, and they'll both say their pain gets much better in about a week. Mm -hmm. And their cold presser time will go up. They become more immune to pain by getting detoxed. And then if they want to go back on, well, that's up to them, but... Uh, the reason no longer would be because of pain. It would really be because they've gotten addicted. Right. So unfortunately, I think that's great. The cold press test is a great idea and a great demonstration for people. Brian, it's been great. We could have spoken um, for a long time together. (laughs) Um, So if people put in Brian Johnson, zombification, Brian with an I, they'll find your book. Um, very interesting way to have a debate with kids. Um, Thanks so much for being a guest. Well, of course, it's been a great pleasure to speak to you. Thank you so much, and good luck to everybody who's listened. Take care. appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.